Before we start this episode, we have a quick message from our sponsors. If you're studying for the Foreign Service Officer Test like us, we have a great study tool for you. Besides listening to our podcast, we also use FSO Compass. On FSO Compass, you can find practice tests for every section, comprehensive courses that guide you through the entire application process, and you can even connect with other aspiring U.S. diplomats. The resources have really helped us prepare, and we hope they help you too. To access FSO Compass and get 10% off your annual subscription, be sure to use the link in our description box. Good luck! Hi, my name is Kaylin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Tea Time Thoughts. Do you ever wish you could learn more about history, books, music, art, and culture, but you just don't know where to start? I totally feel your pain. Learning about all these things can be so overwhelming. Well, I want to change all of that for you. In my podcast, Tea Time Thoughts, I'll show you just how fun it all can be. In the time it takes to have a cup of tea, I'm going to teach you everything from the French Revolution to the Black Plague, Mozart to Broadway musicals, Da Vinci to Robert Frost, Ancient Egypt to Queen Elizabeth II, and more. You can stream Tea Time Thoughts wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Put the kettle on and listen to Tea Time Thoughts today. everybody and welcome back to another episode of how did we not know that i'm nat i'm jack and i'm esteban So I guess uh, that's a great overview of what Americans think healthcare is like in, in Europe. But the truth of the matter is other countries in Europe also have different healthcare models. And, and the second one that I'm talking about today is called the Bismarck model. Um, so the Bismarck model is uh, used by countries like Germany, France, uh, Japan and other European countries. And so some history on that. Uh, the Bismarck model is actually named after Otto van Bismarck, who was sort of one of the first people, I think, in the 1870s, who sort of unified all of these uh, German-speaking countries, I think Prussia was one, into one country called Germany. What I'm trying to say is he created the welfare state and started to send everyone money from the government. So sort of this more like prominent role of the government and the people. Um, He was one of the first people to uh, think about things like social security, workman's compensation. Um, And then by the late 1800s, I think, is when a universal healthcare system through insurance companies was established by Otto van Bismarck. And so it's termed sort of the Bismarck model, first developed then and still used in Germany today. So again, going back to organizing how these models differ, it's really who's paying for it and who's providing care, right? So in the Bismarck model, who's paying for it? So the, the, the system is actually financed by insurance companies with employers and employees sort of splitting the cost through payroll deductions what might sound very familiar to what we have in the U.S. Um, and what many or even a majority of, of Americans have health in, uh, insurance in, through. Uh, but in contrast to the U.S., these insurance companies are all nonprofit. They are regulated and must enroll all citizens regardless of pre-existing health conditions. And also, in contrast to the U.S., the government will step in uh, when someone is unemployed and pay uh, for someone to have uh, insurance through one of these healthcare companies. So, I mean, in the U.S., if you're laid off from your job, you lose your health insurance because your um, premium is paid pretty much through through them as well as your own income. But uh, in other countries, especially Germany, the government steps in when someone becomes unemployed to to cover their their care. And then again, going back to that second part of the question, so who's providing the care in the Bismarck model? So all the hospitals and practices are actually private practice. Uh, so they're not run by the government like the National Health Service in the U.K., 
Um, and really generally Germans and other people who use this system really like their health insurance companies because insurance companies have to pay doctors within a certain amount of time. So, I mean, I think it's even a few days in Germany where the doctor can bill the insurance company and they have to pay them within a, a like three day period. Um, also on top of that, if patients pay out of pocket for care, they have to be reimbursed within something like a two week period or your premium is free the next month. So there's a lot of these sort of um, checks and balances with insurance companies and people using uh, them in the Bismarck model countries. But they also have really strict regulation of insurance companies. Um, so like I mentioned previously, they can't deny health claims. So they have to cover everything. Also, you may ask, like, how do unemployed or self-employed individuals not lose health insurance? Or how do they deal with that in, in countries like this? And the government will still step in and pay half of your premium or the whole premium, depending on your income level. Um, so even people who are unemployed or self-employed uh, still have some of the help from the government. Uh, but for the most part, the government sort of has allowed insurance companies to finance healthcare in, in these countries. Um, but it works well because they have great regulation of insurance companies. Is there a, a cutoff on your salary range where they will stop helping you pay? So let's say you're making like six figures and then you lost your job. You have this whole family and everything. Does the government still come in or do you make too much for them to come help you? Based off of what I know, I think that uh, premiums are paid on sort of an income level uh, sort of gradient. So if you do have a higher income level, you're going to be paying the highest premium for that insurance company. Whereas if you make not a lot of money um, or you're sort of low income, you get more more help from the government. And that sort of, I guess, equitable way of distributing what they do for, for keeping people insured. Um, but I think what's really important is that the government makes sure that everyone in the country is employed um, because they have the, either they don't have the money or they have the money to pay for health insurance. Yeah, actually, um, like I, so when I was studying in a, abroad in Japan, I was required to enroll in health insurance there. And as a student, I only paid like $10 a month, I think, for health insurance. And they cover 70% of my bill. So <laughs> I I never actually like ended up going to the doctors or like hospital there. But yeah, the monthly cost was so cheap as a student. So it was really nice. Wow. If you guys want to try to visually compare how uh, Germany and the UK compared to the US in terms of health statistics and spending... Um, I can give you some of the same statistics and even add a few. But health spending per person in Germany is is still uh, kept to $5,800. This is in 2017, again, compared to the U.S., which is over $10,000 per person. Um, and then the percent of GDP on... It's a little higher than the U.K. then in Germany. Yeah, definitely a little bit higher for health spending per person um, in this this model for Germany that they're using. Um, and then percent, percent of GDP is also a little bit higher than the UK. So Germany spends 11.2% of their GDP on healthcare, um, also compared to the US, which is over 16%. Um, and then again, going back to what the benefit of this, this model is, is that the percent of people covered by Germany is 100%. And in the US, it's, I think, still only around 91.2%. Um, that was in 2017. So even in the United States today, I'm sure there's more than 28 million people who are uninsured. Um, or don't have any health insurance. But uh, this country is able to provide that care for everyone. That's incredible. Also, in comparison, I guess there are just better or comparable health outcomes as well um, in, in terms of statistics. So they do have a, a longer life expectancy um, than Americans and uh, a lower um, infant mortality rate as well. I'm jealous. Yes. Yeah, we pay so much money and we're still going to die first. <laughs> oh <my laughs> yeah. God. 
So you asked about South Korea uh, and sort of how South Korea deals with with health insurance, and that leads sort of into the third type, the third model that T.R. Reid discusses. And going back to those two questions, um, who pays for it and who's providing it? So uh, the national health insurance model is what it's called. The main example of the national health insurance model is Canada, uh, but it's also by, used by smaller countries in Asia like South Korea and Taiwan. But it combines a bit of both the beverage and Bismarck model systems where services are provided via private healthcare providers, but payments are processed through a government-run insurance program, which is funded via taxes or a premium paid through employers. Um, so you have both like a mix of who's paying for it, it's the government, but who's providing it, it's actually private healthcare providers. So it's it's mixing a little bit of those two different model types. And so in, in Canada, uh, which is really the example that a lot of people lead to for the national health insurance model, they actually term uh, their health insurance system as... Medicare. Talking about the national health insurance model in Canada, they're able to sort of limit costs by limiting treatments that are paid for and or making patients wait for elective surgeries. So you always hear about people in the U.S. maybe complaining that people in Canada have to wait so long to be seen, right? I mean, they they have limited the number of surgeons and types of medical scans and specialty care that they, that they um, are able to use for people in Canada to save money. So you will end up on a longer waiting list if you need to take care of like a shoulder that's just bothering you because of arthritis. But for acute care, everyone is treated. But if the medical problem can wait, then you kind of also end up waiting in these in, in the system, um, and especially in Canada. But again, like I mentioned, it's paid for through a government-run insurance program. So sort of like a, a single-payer system. So everyone pays a tax. Uh, I think they call it a premium in Canada, where everyone can go to the doctor for free, uh, but they pay into the system that pays out to all of the privately owned health healthcare providers. Um, so that's sort of the system and how it works in Canada and how they've sort of tried to limit costs with it, um, but also make it uh, work in their own country. Jumping to Canada and the U.S., since we're sort of comparing statistics here, they still do have comparable or even greater health outcomes than what's being used in the U.S. They also have cheaper drug prices, but a comparison you can make off the bat between Canada and the U.S. is uh, it's a single-payer healthcare system, sort of like the proposed Medicare for All program in the U.S. by candidates like Bernie Sanders um, that you may have heard of in the news. And I guess in terms of statistics, healthcare spending by percent of GDP, Canada spends about 10% of their GDP. Um, and the U.S. is, again, over 16 to 17% of GDP. And then healthcare spending per person, the system ends up costing people about $4,500 per person versus the U.S., which is over $10,000. And then even out-of-pocket spending per person is less in Canada than it is in the U.S. Uh, for other things that aren't covered by uh, Medicare in Canada, like certain prescription drugs or something like that, they still end up paying less out-of-pocket per person than people in the U.S. And again, I guess talking about health outcomes, their basic universal health care coverage still has comparable or better health outcomes compared to us. Life expectancy at birth in Canada is almost 83. Uh, in the U.S., it's uh, nearing 79, but it's it's not quite there yet. Um, and then even the infor infant mortality per 1,000 births is about 4.8 in Canada. In the U.S., it's 6. So I guess just to summarize, what, what Canada is following is sort of a publicly funded model with private providers. Canadians take a lot of pride in this system because it was established to ensure health equity among citizens, regardless of people's ability to pay. And they do this by keeping administrative costs low and sort of making those checks and balances in the system. You might be asking, like, how do these countries determine what's covered, what pills will be paid for, what procedures are allowed? And in Canada, I mean, it's all determined by the health ministry who makes these larger decisions. And I think it might be in Ottawa where, where the ministry actually meets and decides what's covered every year, what new pills that have come onto the market are paid for. 
um, and which procedures are allowed for basic universal health care coverage. And then I guess in comparison to the U.S., these decisions are made really by individual insurance companies. So, I mean, say uh, Nat and Jack have different uh, insurance companies in the U.S., they each can decide like what sort of healthcare procedures are covered. Um, so one of you guys may have one that's covered by your company, but the other won't. And so there's no really like centralized system regulating what insurance companies are deciding to cover in the U.S. Um, but I think like what uh, characterizes Canada's system is really that they're valuing equity so that everyone receives the same care. Although Medicare in Canada isn't able to cover everything, uh, like dental, things like mental health. So I think therapy um, and things like that isn't covered by the Medicare system. Um, but you can buy supplemental private insurance through employers, which do cover things like dental insurance, uh, eyesight, and, and other things like mental health services. I guess those are some of the problems that a lot of people might talk about with Canada. Yeah, actually, like when I was in Ottawa, I was interning at Parliament House of Commons and like the MP I was interning for, he was on the health committee and we focused so much about uh, providing like universal dental care for Canadians. That was his big issue that he was focusing on. And so, yeah, I think they've been really pushing for universal dental care in Canada because yeah, then the supplemental like private insurance, I think is really expensive. Yeah, no, definitely. Like I, because like you mentioned earlier, like the really long wait times, I've also, yeah, that is a complaint that I've heard like from my Canadian friends. And then also quality of health services can sometimes vary like depending on the region of Canada you're living in or um, I guess like, yeah, the province. Um, And so I guess some Canadians, like if they have a severe medical condition that requires like like a specialized physician a lot of canadians like will go to the u.s actually to get like specialized care just because the quality is a little better in their opinion but yeah but then it'll cost them a lot more <laughs> yeah no i definitely have heard about canadians coming across the border to get health care yeah. um, for some of those sort of i guess different like elective or more advanced procedures and i guess like something that also limits them in canada is that because canada is sort of decided on health equity as sort of like their big decision defining this model. Um, you can't, even through like supplemental private insurance in Canada, you can't have them pay for a procedure that's covered by Medicare in Canada. So they don't want like someone who has a ton of money being able to uh, purchase private supplemental insurance and then being able to go to a better physician when that procedure is covered under Medicare. Um, because they want everyone to have the same care that's paid for by the government system. So if you have supplemental private insurance in Canada, you it can only pay for procedures that aren't covered by Medicare. Oh, that's interesting. Also, with the Canadians that come to the States, isn't that really expensive for them? Because they wouldn't have American health insurance, right? Like, it doesn't transfer over. Yeah, I mean, I'm just assuming that they're maybe paying out of pocket for some of the procedures that they that they get. Do, do we have examples? Because I'm just thinking of, like, if you wanted to come over, maybe it's something extreme like open heart surgery. Oh. That could be upwards of, like, a hundred grand. Do you really want to come to the states yeah i mean i think something that comes to mind and something i've heard of is i don't know maybe like you you have a lousy shoulder and it kind of hurts when you're like trying to grab a cup from the top cupboard but in canada's system it might take you eight to twelve months to get an appointment 
to be seen by a specialty care person for that sort of like ailment. Um, and then it might take another four to five months to actually have a procedure done where you can get that shoulder worked on or, or fixed. So like, I think something like chronic pain and issues that sort of get like pushed to the end and something that maybe a Canadian might come across the border to seek care for if they have the money. Yeah, I mean, the model might need some reform in the future, um, but Canadians are still very proud of their healthcare system. And I think a lot of Canadians I've spoken to and maybe now also is that they're very proud because they know that it provides sort of healthcare for everyone on an equal level, but they also know that it's still better than the U.S. system. There's lower costs and higher health outcomes. So uh, Canadians are very proud of that. This has been an episode of How Did We Not Know That? If you liked it, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also follow us on all social media, including YouTube, at How Did We Not Know That? If you thought our podcast was low quality, we know. We thought so, too. Help us improve the podcast by contributing to our Patreon. Thank you for listening, and see you guys next week.